Calling podcast is Irish folk legend Finbar Fury. Fury has left his mark on the Irish folk scene ever since becoming the only Illin Pipe player to win the All Ireland, the Oireachtas Medal, and the four province titles in the same year as a teenager. Since then, he has reached international success with his brothers Eddie, George, and Paul in the Furies. He's toured with the Clancy Brothers and the Dubliners, and even appeared in a couple of Hollywood blockbusters, most notably Martin Scorsese's Gangs in New York. In 1995, Finbar embarked on a solo career to pursue a new life as a singer, musician, songwriter and producer. Just last year, he re-released his album Paddy Deer, renamed Don't Stop This Now, with a number of additional songs. He toured much of the UK and Ireland last year to play the album to fans, as well as a few classics such as When You Were Sweet 16, The Lonesome Boat and The Green Fields of France. Ahead of his return to London for one night only next month, Finbar spoke with us about his incredible life in music and what motivates him to keep going. Finbar, welcome to the London Calling podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks to have you on. It's nice to be here. Nice, nice to be here. Nice to be back in London, I presume. You're back yeah, for the Late Late Show tonight. Town, yeah, I, I have good memories of this place, you know, when years and years ago already, you know. And um, we made all our first albums in this town, you know, so it was great, yeah. Good memories of the place. Um, we used to do all the folk clubs, singers club. We yeah. had um, Ambrose Dunhill, guy from Galway, used to run a great club here. So it was the place was full of music, and of course Camden Town is only down the road. If you get stuck, you just knock on the door, and the boys are there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you're back again next month for the for yeah, a one night only gig yeah. in the Union Chapel. That's right. Is it? Um, you must enjoy coming back to London and playing and performing again. I hadn't played for a while now, for about 10 years, I think. And then uh, when the album was released, you know, um, Don't Stop This Now, uh, I was asked whether I'd like to come in and do a, a tour again. So I said, yeah, and I'm loving it. I'm really liking it again, you know, yeah. it's great. Is it good to bring those songs back on the road earlier this year, like you said? Yeah, it was a great chance to record uh, all these it was songs that I'd written for a while ago, but never got a chance to record them because, again, I was with the band years and years ago. So when you're with the band, you have to sort of, there's a routine you stay with, you know? Yeah. So once I left the band, I had great freedom to do what I wanted to do. And it was, uh, and as well as that, I'd never worked with other musicians outside of my brothers, only with the Clancy brothers years and years ago, but I never got a chance to work with different musicians. Yeah. So it was a great opening for me to to work with different musicians on the band, to, on the, the album too, so it was great, yeah. And when you first um, <coughs> were started playing and touring with Eddie, yeah. and you were coming to the UK, um, what kind of a reception did you get when you, when you first started playing around Scotland and, the, and England? And it was amazing. They'd never heard anything like this. Yeah. I, I mean, Eddie had a 12-string guitar, if you can imagine it, and had a full set of pipes with flutes, and he had an instrument called a giffen, 
which is very like a, the Basuki, you know. Yeah, uh, and the Irvine plays, doesn't he? Yeah, I think, yeah, the boys would play it. But this is an Irish version of it, and it's, it goes back very old. So we had that. And we'd about, I'd say we used to carry about six instruments between us, you know. Yeah. And everywhere we went, like especially the pipes, and Eddie's voice was very wild. And of course, we were one of the first uh, folk bands, if you like, to write our own music, you know, Irish uh, folk, Jewish, anyway, mm. to write their own songs. So yeah, we had a great time. And we were sort of mingling with the the new wave kids growing up, you know, your Jerry Raffi at the time, your Gallagher and Loyal, yeah. you had uh, T-Rex, you know, uh, you had the Curries, you know, it was, you know, Roy had written Flower of Scotland. It was all this beautiful um, yeah, progression in yeah. the music, pioneering, if you like, and we became a part of that rather than stick with the tradition that we, we brought with us, you know. Yeah, it was very exciting. Really so exciting. you mentioned Jerry Rafferty and the Humble Bums and of yeah. course Billy Connolly. Yeah. Um, you did a lot of collaborating with them and you were you became very good close friends with them. Yeah, time, we'd meet Billy and Jerry on and off here and there and Tom Harvey too. Tom left and he moved to Brighton. So every time we played in Brighton, Tom used to come and see us. And he'd bring his guitar and his session on stage with us. And yeah. You know, and I, I met Jerry, the last time I met Jerry was in Dublin in the Sherbourne Hotel, he was flying back to LA. So he came in and spent a couple of nights and had a great time with Jerry. And Billy was always, would turn up, Billy's like myself, he would turn like a bad chill and he'd turn up here and there, you know? Yeah. And your jaws would be sore laughing with him, you know? Yeah, they were great, they were great days and, and, and great lads, you know? Yeah. Great, great times. And you, um, I read a quote that, that you said before, it was uh, you went to Scotland for a tour for 12 days, you ended up there for two years. How did that happen? <laughs> Joe Heaney, Joseph O'Heaney from Connemara, his brother was very sick at the time and he had a 12 day tour of Scotland and uh, he, I was in Dunahoo's with my father in Dublin, Dunahoo's yeah, pub. Yeah, pub and he approached me and he said would you do this tour for me because I played the pipes you know and I said to, okay so I had a good think about it, I'd never been out of Ireland before in my life so he gave me the whole tour list and told me where I had to go. And so my brother Eddie was actually with a rock band at the time called the Spartans. And they'd played the Cavern in Liverpool. They were starting oh. to take off now, you know. And uh, So I approached Eddie and said, do you want to do the tour with me? And he said, yeah, okay, no problem. So he put away the electric guitar, took out his acoustic. And as I said, we went away for 12 days and we didn't come home actually for three years. Was it three? For three years. <laughs> We came home, my mother thought we were gone forever, you know. Yeah. But, um, like, again, during that three years, it was fantastic. We didn't want to come back. We only came back because it was Christmas to see the folks, you know. But we couldn't wait to get our feet on the road again, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was a big, big sort of uh, revolution, if you like, and music happening at the time. And we were just going out of the hippie era, you know, into this very serious era of music where people were, you know, you had Fairport Convention coming along, you had, you know, Sandy Denny. Um, I can go on and on and on, you know. It was a great time for music. I got, <laughs> I did a lot of um, workshops, if you like. Yeah. I played Cambridge University where I did a workshop with the pipes. They never heard the pipes in there, you know. I also did Oxford. You know, with things like that, off-the-site programs that they would bring us in to do. Plus, um, 
I remember meeting uh, Hamish Henderson when I first went to Scotland, and he recorded me for, oh, must have been for two hours, just of Irish music on the pipes, just, he wanted to have this for the archives, you know. Yeah. So all of that we were a part of, as well as putting the, our contemporary music together too. Yeah, it was very interesting, we do very interesting life. And we weren't just uh, going and doing a few folk clubs, and we were, we were in, you know, there were people interested in, in the workshops of the pipes, the reeds, how the reeds were working. You know, it was it was fantastic, it was a great time. And a lot of people wouldn't have heard in the pipes mm. back then. Maybe you'd hear them in the Irish Centre, you know, maybe Camden Town, there'd be a couple of lads over, or uh, Pat McNulty you'd probably hear in, in Glasgow, you know, he's yeah. Scottish piper. But pipes was very, very little, you know, heard Exposure, of. yeah. And what Eddie and I did with them, uh, like I would take on, she was upon the bed. And you didn't, I didn't used to get into this groove with them. And of course the purists had a heart attack listening to me with the pipe. But um, that's, it was a beautiful instrument and it was worth more, you know, for playing a few reels and jigs. And, and I, I enjoy playing the reels and jigs. And, but there was something more, you know, for this instrument. And, and when Eddie started singing, I said, well, yeah, it's a gorgeous instrument, you know. Once we get into the back and up, it was like an orchestra, you know. Yeah. So you can imagine a room, no microphones. And Eddie would open up with a 12-string guitar and then this full set of pipes would come in. So it was like an orchestra, you know. Two-man orchestra. Yeah. It was fantastic. And we really loved it because we... We were we really loved what we did. We loved the traditional music and we loved our heritage and and we knew all about it as well. You know, we could speak about it and and uh, I remember meeting people like Ali Bain, you know, the great fiddle player from Shetland. And when I met Ali, Ali would have had a lot of Scott Skinner music, you know, and half of Irish tunes. We wouldn't have had all the Irish tunes. Mm. So sitting down and you know, helping them with the other half, and he was teaching me some with some of the Shetland tunes. That sort of was amazing, you know. Um, there was another great duo, um, Barry and Robin Dransfield. And I remember we had a great time with Barry and Robin. And at the same time, you would have had Martin Carty and Dave Swarbrick. And it, it was the same sort of run, you know, with duos, you know. Yeah. And every time we would meet up, we'd team up, you know. And form a band between four of us and put the music together and share different styles and yeah yeah it was great and it was great it was a great time for Irish music a great time for folk music in general and contemporary music you know it was yeah and you could see the different change I remember when T-Rex were a contemporary band and then the next time we met Mark Bolan um, they had done he changed completely his whole style of music you know and uh, it was just wonderful to watch it all go through all of this different, you know, category. It was great. And then you had people like John Peel appreciating. John was great. That, that sound. He was great too. Too again to Jerry Rafferty and Billy and Billy himself Cameron, yeah. and all the lads. He was a great door for us. Like Terry Wogan, I must mention Terry as well. Terry was huge for us over here, especially Eddie and I. Any time we'd have a single out or some sort of a record out, Terry would play it, you know. And he was a fairly big DJ at the time, you know, especially in the morning. Yeah. So Terry had great time for us. John Peel was really great to Eddie and I too. He, he gave a single of the year over the Beatles at the time in 1972. And we didn't realise 
what we had done, you know, what John had done for us. And uh, I remember when the lad said, what did it mean to you? I said, well, our wages went up another 20 quid. <laughs> <laughs> How did you spend that 20 quid? That's the same way as we spent the last few, Bob, you know. But uh, we went from playing the sort of folk clubs into the universities, and then we got, uh, you know, you would get a little bit more, you know, because you were pulling a bigger crowd. Yeah. But um, Barry Murray, who produced uh, her father didn't like me anyway. He was looking after Mungo Jerry at the time and doing a bit of producing for Mungo Jerry for his album. So he spent a bit of time trying to get Eddie and I to actually go with him, and he wanted to put us on a weekly wage, you know, and mm. say, and not play, not play any place. Don't play the folk clubs. Don't play here. Wait till he was ready to put us out there, and was trying to gear us for a bigger a bigger sound, if you like. Yeah. But we we couldn't do that, Eddie and I. I said I can't I can't just stop playing music like that, you know, and we didn't. But we had a great chance to do it, and uh, we didn't. Then after that, we just I'm not jumping. After that, we went to Germany. We started in we, we got an album of the year in Germany, Eddie and I, and it just as everything snowballed. It just went bananas after that, you know. Yeah. Came back, formed the the group then with the brothers in 1976, and it just took off again, you know. But uh, I can honestly say we had nothing but success, you know. Yeah. No matter where we touch, it was like we had the Midas touch. No matter where we, 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 we touched, it turned into gold, you know, the music turned into gold. I, we, were, we were very good to putting, you know, arrangements together, you know, the two of us. Mm. And it, it held good stead to me when I left the band, when I was putting the album together, because I could actually hear what I wanted to put on the album before I put it down, you know. Yeah. I could hear the instruments I need to put on it, you know. And, you know, we did a lot of good help along the way, you know, which was great. When you went solo from <coughs> the Furies, was that difficult at, at first, or uh, why? Why were you trying to prove to yourself that you could kind of go alone and, and and make make music on your own a bit? No, or? I think we'd had uh, we'd taken it to uh, to the limit as far as it could yeah, go. as a folk gr as a folk band. You know, a traditional folk band. We'd taken it to the very height we could take it to. We were we were playing the same tunes, only diff with different names. You know, yeah. but it was the same. There was the same arrangement all the time. And I think when we did the uh, Cambridge Folk Festival as the band, as the big band, we realised we had to move a little bit more forward. We took it as far as we could, you know, with the band, and then. Just I was in uh, Australia doing the last Australian tour with the brothers in 19, 1992, I think it was. And I just said, Teddy, I'm going to leave because I want to get out on my own. And when I did start gigging on my own, it was very difficult, you know. Very, very hard because I wanted to do it on my own, you know. Mm. I didn't want any help. And I got a couple of great musicians in with me, like Gary O'Brien, for instance. Gary was a great help to me. I'll always remember Gary because his belief and what I was doing was because Gary in his own right is a great songwriter mm. and I had uh, people like uh, Jimmy Fortner who was a brilliant guitar player and Jimmy toured with me I had Francie Conway toured with me I, t I had some great you know individual songwriters in their own right yeah. that would come and tour with me and you know and do the, the songs that I was writing and then, you know, it took about five years, I'd say, to find a direction where I was going, where I wanted to go. That's the hardest part, yeah. is finding a direction. Because On your own? Yeah, it's like being called home, 
you know, you still want to go back and do some of the old stuff that you did with the band, you know. Yeah. And you've got to, do you, like I still do Sweet Sixteen because I put the arrangement with the banjo on it. Anything I do, like on stage, I arranged it, you know, or something that I did with mm. the band, that was my input into the band. So I keep Sweet Sixteen, Greenfields of France I love, come yeah, on, yeah. couldn't get away from it, you know. I know you like Phil Coulter's song, The Old Man. What a beautiful song, you know. Yeah. And uh, this maybe I'd say about, you know, four, maybe four covers, five covers at the tops, and then I wrote the rest, you know. And I think the, the whole secret, if you are going to go solo, you know, you want to put your own music out there, don't throw the towel in. Don't yeah. go back the road. Keep moving forward. This music has to move forward, you know. And there's been so many original songs now that... I imagine when you go on tour now and perform, it must be hard to pick a set list. Nightmare. Yeah. The only thing is a nightmare. I, ha I must give you a great laugh. Uh, Bill Shanley, who's a great friend of mine, you know, and Bill produced the Colors album for me. And uh, it was one of the first times I really got out there and said, okay, I'm going to go this direction. And uh, when I was doing Vicker Street uh, last year, Bill came along with them and said, I'll fill in. I said, okay. So he came on stage and he said to the bass player, he said to Paul O'Driscoll, uh, set list, where's the set list, you know, with the, the programme. Yeah. And O'Driscoll said, no set list. <laughs> they just follow you, yeah. And like, I, I can't put a set list, it's impossible. Yeah, it's so like 50, 60 songs there or something. I just, I sit down and I do 20, maybe 22 numbers in a night, you know. Yeah. But I don't know where, I know where I'm going to start and I know where I'm going to finish in between that is a total mystery trip you know yeah and i could just say and I, the funny part i look around at the boys and they're going and they all play a couple of instruments each mm. and they're waiting to see which way i'll go and they'll pick up the banjo and go well i'll try this song this is a song you know we built a home okay and they'll say no i won't do that yeah and yeah. the boys are all set up and they go oh he's back again so they have to wait me but it's a, a part, part of, of this fun yeah. and the audience love it because they join in then you know so, and it's it's fun and i find most of the bands are doing it now you know they're saying i oh, forget the set list let's just go for it because it's different every night if you make a set list then you're playing the same notes every night yeah but when you don't but you know the music well enough it it starts to turn into a sort of like a jazz session, you know, it's like your turn, my turn. You kind of Let's play off in. each other. We all, yeah, we feed off each other. And I think it's really nice rather than everybody playing the same note all the time, you know. I don't yeah. like that. I think that's regimental, you know, and it's nothing to do with Irish traditional music. The Irish traditional music and Irish music in general is wild. That's what we are. We're a wild race. I mean, we go out there, we like to dance, and we like to throw up there, you know. We will not be, you know, Structure we will not be buckled down and I think yeah. that's a great part of it and the, the program works because well there's no program you know it just it works because everybody every man for himself on stage yeah and I love it and they're all brilliant musicians so it doesn't matter where I go they're not going to lose me you know yeah and I enjoy that and you mentioned Green Fields of France yes um, and a couple of years ago you did you performed it on the Late Late Show with Christy Christy Dignam yeah. and uh, with that video is it was amazing. Got, yeah, got loads of views on yeah. YouTube now. Everyone loves that video. Um, and I spoke to Christy a few weeks ago on this on the podcast, <laughs> which was a pleasure. Yeah. Um, and he, I asked him about you and your friendship, and, and you yeah. know, 
working together over the years he said you're working on some some stuff at the moment or you have been working on stuff recently and yeah and he had some great things to say about you i was wondering you know what what you think of your relationship with, with, with christy over oh, the years amazing i mean christy's a total gem yeah i love him to death you know he's a very genuine man first of all and he puts his heart and soul into everything he does you know and when we did the late late show that night i was actually on with sharon shannon if you remember and sharon and i were doing put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone. Now, we only did it for the fun, yeah. you know. We were together, it was the launch of uh, my son's album, Martin uh, album, Martin Fury. And uh, it was in Dunahoo's, and I went, and Shannon was there. I was actually raining at the time, it was a bit drizzly and cold. Mm. And um, she was a little bit cold, and I said, come on. And I put my coat, I said, put your sweet lips a little closer. <laughs> And I had a point again to the phone. <laughs> and I said, you know, we should record that. <laughs> and then she got back to me. Uh, John Rumford got back, our, ma our, our manager, it looks like, he's a lovely guy, John. And John got back to me, he said, you should record that. So I said, I phoned Sharon and said, let's go for it. And we did it for the fun of it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's lovely, it's lovely. So, it's, you know, she was there. Yeah, it was great, great. Time. That was on the s at the same time as um, Apollo House. That's right. What's yeah. happening? And you yes. and Christy were both involved with that yeah. and um, yeah. that great cause. Um, Christy is the same, you know, with me. You know, we we'll come up with something. I said to Christy, like when we did the Greenfields in France, it wasn't planned. There yeah. was nothing planned. He just, he literally came to say, you know, he wanted to support me for the night that was in it, and and we just opened up with it. Yeah. And like, uh, he just sang it so great. And afterwards we spoke, myself and Christy and, and Catherine, his wife, and my wife, Sheila. So he said to me, I'd like to do an album of folk songs, or maybe do an album together. And I said, okay, let's put an album of folk songs together. Mm -hmm. So we've done about, I think, eight of them so far, which, trust me, you've never heard the likes of singing these songs. He's fantastic. Yeah. And he sings them straight from in here. Hey, and wild. You know, you know that beautiful wild voice he has. It's, yeah. You know, Christy just lets it rip. You know, and I, I sit back and listen to him singing. I let him go, and then I come in and just add on my voice. But I want to get, you know, I want to listen to this gorgeous man, of course. Mm. And it's working great. And you know, Damien Dempsey and myself as well have done a a, a, a one song now, which is the Singing Bird. Uh, Damien loves that and so I love that that working with the lads you know and yeah. again getting into the ballads you know into the old the old tradition you know yeah uh, we've done I think it's Christie's version of Grace I know Rod Stewart has done it yeah but his version of Grace for me it's the best with the Dublin accent in it you know when he puts this accent in the, the yeah. Irish accent that was said already but it's just with so much feeling and I go wow you know it's not sort of thrown out there in a big suave it's sung, you know, from straight from the heart, you know. Yeah. Beautiful. And I'd say without a shadow, without uh, Jim McCann for me did uh, the original, you know, fantastic. But Chrissy's version of it is is just as equally as fantastic. You know? Yeah. Kids are gonna love it. The most heartfelt version, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But he has more. There's more than that. We did Bun Clody. We've done this, his version of the Sally Gardens is amazing. But we've done it in a beautiful time and. And also we did Raglan Road, oh. and that is amazing between the pair of us, you know. Yeah. So it's that beautiful, you know. And we won't do a volume two or a volume three. This is just a one-off between 
quickly, you know, you know. So that's nice. Maybe sometime next year, maybe, or yeah, I'd say maybe for next summer we'll have it. You know, he's yeah. busy at the moment. He's touring, and I'm touring at the moment. So probably after Christmas we will get a chance we'll finish it. You know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about one particular song as well. That you mm. wrote um, one of my favorite songs, "The Ballad for George Best." Yes. Where Where did that song come from? And did you have Did you ever meet George? George I Best met him twice in my life. I met him in London way, way back with Barry Murray, I said to you earlier on, the guy that was looking after Mungo Jerry. Yeah. That was at a, a do, a bash, you know. And he just said, just literally said hello, that was it. He was surrounded by the best looking girls I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Uh, my brother Eddie was very jealous. <laughs> um, and then I met him in Waterford. Uh, uh, he came over not, not too long before he died. Uh, just again to say hello to him. But I watched him play. Billy Connolly again, let's go back to Billy and Jerry, were the first ones that ever talked to us about soccer. We knew nothing about soccer when we arrived in our yeah. in Scotland. We didn't even know there was a Celtic and a Rangers. Really? That's true, you know. And they brought us to the first Celtic Rangers match and then eventually we saw George in, in action, you know. And he was amazing, you know. And I still didn't know much about it. But I just the one thing I always remember that never changed was his eyes. I've always said this. His eyes never changed. He got older, but his eyes never changed. Yeah. You know, he still had a wonderful pair of eyes. I just decided when I, let's do something just to treasure this man because he was a treasure to us, yeah. you know. What a, what a gifted, gifted player, you know. Um, people used to say to me, he never played in a World Cup. I actually think he did play in one, I'm not sure. But anyway, I put the song together for him, you know, yeah. just to thank him for what, you know, the pleasure he gave all of us. It's a great tribute. A great Irishman. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about, you know, you, you mentioned when you played with the with your brothers, the Furies, yeah. and that was around the time that obviously the Dubliners and, and the Clancy brothers were, were uh, mm. around as well. And you mentioned Donahue's Pub. It sounds mm. like there was a great kind of a... Um, like a collaborative and commun like a community spirit amongst all the the bands and the Irish musicians around then around that part of Dublin, like yeah. Donna, who's been a pub yeah. that the Dubliners would have been in a lot. And yourselves, what, yeah, were you well kind of the Dubliners came in. Ronnie Drew first of all came back from uh, Spain. I remember Ronnie, who was uh, I think he was an English teacher. He was at, I was only a kid now. You must remember I was only about 12, 13. and um, we got the job of playing a bit of music in Dunahoo's uh, from. Uh, Paddy Dunham one morning. You and Eddie, was it? No, my father. Oh, really? My father and I. Eddie wasn't involved in it then, you know, it was just me and my own man yeah. with the pipes and the fiddle. And uh, I used to travel down to Clare, whatever places like that, and we played the fiddle and the pipes. But um, um, it was a Kieran Burke, who was with the Dubliners, and Kieran was learning to play the tin whistle at the time, years ago. So this is long before the Dubliners now. So I used to be playing the tin whistle with him and helping him out and and his wife Jeannie, it's a lovely, lovely lady. So they used to drink in Dunhills all the time. They were students in Trinity College. Mm. And John Malloy, who was an actor and a wonderful friend of my father, they were all RTE actors and they did, you know, all the little shows there. They always drank in Dunhills after they would finish. So they brought my father in one night. My father was playing the fiddle. So Kieran Borker arrived up and he said, would you come down and play a few tunes? So my father said to me, get the pipes, so on we went down. 
It would have been in the 50s, late 50s, 1958. Yeah. And there were candles on the tables and there was lovers holding hands and it wasn't anything to do with music. Mm. So we just started playing music and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. Lou Kelly would have been a resident for the singers club here at the time with June McCall and Peggy Seeger. So he came home. But before Luke came home, Bobby Lynch had joined the Dubliners. So Bobby had left. He was a, I think he probably was a school teacher. I'm not sure. And um, then Luke filled in when Bobby left. Okay. And uh, there was bits of swapping around, you know. John Sheehan then got involved with the Dubliners. Yeah. But Ronnie, in the beginning, played with my father and myself and Dunhill's pub before the Dubliners. Yeah. And then the Dubliners got together. I'd say 1960, maybe 61. It would be later because they it would have been 62, 61 or 62. And they just took off. Did you know when you yeah, first heard them, like, oh, these, these lads are something special? It was none of us special in the beginning. We were all yeah. trying our hand at everything, you know. I think once they, they got Luke in with the banjo, Ronnie with the, you know, they had a great charisma when they got together. Okay. But you must remember the Clancy brothers were there before them, you know. And the Clancy brothers were massive in the States, you know. Yeah. And the McPeaks were there before the Clancy's. So you must remember with the McPeaks force, Clancy's came, then would say the Dubliners, we like to put it that way. Cole Tory Coolan came in on top of that, which would have been Sean O'Reilly with the Paddy Maloney and Michael Tuberty. You know, it was, it was a sort of, that was the trad side of it, you know. Yeah. And that would have been put together by O'Reilly. And he also drank in Dunahoo's when he would come there. So Dunahoo's became a hub yeah, for all yeah. types of culture, you know culture and you know the singing and we all became a big sort of melting pot if you like there with the music and um, the Clancy Brothers Tommy Makem left the Clancy Brothers in 1968 and uh, Eddie and I joined you know and we were with them then for nearly three years in America so we learned an awful lot we met the people like Pete Seeger and you know the American contingent of the folks in New York like Greenwich Village all, that all over we toured San Francisco Greenwich Village was full of full of great artists at yeah. the time and, and writers you know like George Kimball yeah. who wrote for the Boston Herald and eventually and New York Times he was one of the top sports writers in America as well well he would have been a kid running wild you know as well doing his learning his his trade you know yeah. so we all grew up together it was a great time you know it was and Greenwich Village was it was another sort of. It was just a wonderful place to go. Dylan there. would have been knocking about around. Yeah, there Bob well, Dylan was there, and I never got to meet him that time. I got him. I met him in the Marriott Hotel in Chicago. I think it was on the second tour, yeah. but it was just literally that was it, you know, yeah. because he was. Uh, His uh, friends uh, were Liam Clancy. Yeah, was he a bit yeah. All he had in his eye, we were just a blur in his eye, myself and Eddie at the time. But we met his manager Al Grossman. Yeah. who was crazy about Eddie and I, you know, we, and he said, I always remember him saying, the kids are writing your name on the berries in New York, because we had our own spot. When we played with the classes, we used to do a 15-minute spot with the pipes and the guitar. That was a deal we did, otherwise we wouldn't go, because yeah. we just didn't want to be back in the Clancy Brothers, you know. And they gave us that 15, 20-minute spot. And we eventually we, f we fizzled it out. We said, no, let's concentrate on the lads, you know. <laughs> and we did. And we had a great time. And as I said, they were gentlemen, great ambassadors for Irish music. Unbelievable ambassadors for Irish music. And they taught us so much about stage, you know. Mm. And 
all Irish speakers, so you can imagine it, you know. They were beautiful. They were wonderful. And obviously, having played with um, your brothers with the Furies for years and, and grown yeah. up in such a musical household, it sounds like you passed that on to Martin and, and your daughter Anya, who, who sang in a few of the songs that, that serious, you did in the album. I have to be careful of them. Every yeah. time they get near me, I get murdered with them. <laughs> they just eat me alive, you know, with the music. But yeah, Martin is just, as I said, started a tour now. And Anya's going mad to get back in and do a bit of singing again. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She did a lo- lovely contribution to the few songs in your album. Yeah, we did, yeah. Last year. What was, um, uh, oh, the uh, Taxi's Waiting. Yeah. She wanted to do that. And, um, she, she wanted to do the one I did with Mary Black in the beginning, you know, Walking With My Love. But she couldn't do it at the time. So I got Mary wanted to do it. So I said, let Mary do it. So Mary did it earlier. Sort of. Uh, she's singing great at the moment, and yeah. she wants to do a, a, a track now which I've written called The Ocean. It's about um, a migrant who's sinking in the sea, and she can't, you know, she's asking for help, but there's no help. It's a, it's a beautiful song. Oh. So I want her to sing the, the female part of this side yeah. of the song. That's a beautiful song. So I have her roped in now a little bit at the moment. She's doing a little bit more singing, and she's a terrific singer. And your youngest son, Finbar, is a musician as well, He's in he? Canada at the moment, working and gigging. And uh, Actually, he's doing. Um, he's meeting up with Damien Dempsey, I think, next month. Damien's over there, so uh, he's doing guest spot for Damien in Toronto. Yeah. So it'll be lovely, and the two of them will hit it off brilliantly. It's all over. The, the fury's everywhere now. Yeah. No hope. You won't get away from <laughs> <it>. <laughs> it's a good, I don't think anyone's complaining about that. No. But it sounds, it sounds to me like you're still just really enjoying um, <coughs> making music and performing it and coming over to the UK and around Ireland and playing the yeah. songs that yeah. like, uh, you've always seemed to enjoy playing. Is that fair to say? I'm loving it at the moment. And I'm loving playing at home. You know. yeah. I'm getting more kicked now playing in Ireland than I am any places. And I'm getting sort of the age now. I'm like one of these old chiefs, these old <laughs> Indian chiefs. I don't want to leave the fire too yeah, far yeah. away, you know. You don't want to spread, yeah, spread out like too far. Yeah, I'm like one of these chiefs. I'm saying to all these young warriors now, out there, bring back the goodies. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just lovely, you know. <clears throat> I've had a great life, you know, with the music, and it's not over yet. We've got a couple of things to do now. We have a film coming up, maybe April, I think, they're going for it. It's called Carter. And uh, you'll probably read all about it. And I was asked would I do the music for it, write the music for it. So, which I wrote Martin in, someone to help me with the music you know, yeah. for it. Because he's a terrific music writer. He's a great piper as well. So he started humming and humming. Mm, I might do it, I might, but we'll see. We'll see. You know. Very good. Well, uh, yeah, thanks so much for so much of your time. time. And it's an absolute pleasure for me. Cheers. Too, too. Enjoy the late, late tonight as well. Oh, we will. We'll look forward to that. That was the legend, Finbar Fury. Thank you to Finbar for so much of his time. And you can see him for one night only at London's Union Chapel on Thursday the 15th of November. Thanks for listening and take care.